photography has evolved from being a way of documenting the world to a way of communicating. I would say there's always been too many photographs in the world, but there's never too many good ones. The way you photograph something and the way you light something should be as beautiful as you can make it. Business, creative, kit and careers. Find out about the world's leading photographers and filmmakers in Shutter Stories. We're here today with Tom Jenkins, who's been taking great sports photography for more than 30 years, with his work regularly appearing in The Guardian and The Observer newspapers. But today we're talking to him just before a grassroots rugby match to find out more about how he got into the industry and what he looks for when he's packing his kit. Hi Tom, thanks for being here today. Can we start right at the beginning, at the start of your career? How did you first get into sports photography? Well, uh, I suppose I'm a failed sportsman, really. That's what I wanted to be when I was a kid. I wanted to be anything. I wanted to be a footballer, cricketer, uh, golfer, what have you. I just wanted to be a, a professional sportsman, but frankly, I wasn't good enough at anything. Um, so I sort of turned my attention towards art and photography. Uh, and I started doing photography at school, started to really love it. Um, and I left school, went to college, and studied uh, documentary photography. And it all went from there, really. I'd imagine it's a highly competitive industry to break into. What were some of the matches you covered in those early years? When I was first starting, when I, you know, when I was at school, when I was at college, you know, obviously I wasn't being let into top-level matches. I'd go to you know, my local teams that would love me to come along and photograph them. They would be more than happy for me to come and see them and take pictures. You know, I might give them a few prints to keep them happy. And then, you know, you develop a relationship with that club. Suddenly, you know, they're more open and they do things for you. So it was, that's where I started doing things where I didn't need permission to go and photograph, doing cycling events on open roads. You know, you don't need permission. They're there. You can get really close to them. You can get tight to the action. I started to build up a relationship with newspapers at that time, national newspapers. My college had a very good uh, reputation for producing documentary photographers, some of which had already been uh, taken up by Fleet Street newspapers. So I built up a relationship while I was still at college with some of these newspapers. They knew who I was. So once I left college, I knew the people who, who would commission. And also I would take pictures into them saying, I've got these, you know, I think this might be a, a good image. Will you look at it? And they'd have a look at it. And most of the time they say, no, we haven't got space. And then, but then there might be one time when they'd say, yes, okay, we'll use this. And once I'd started to build up these relationships with newspapers and there were, there were agencies concentrating on sports photography at that time that I also built up friendships with once i'd got that going then you sort of got a network of potential clients and i started to get commissions and once i started to get commissions and they liked what i do the ball started rolling and um well it all went from there didn't it so now that you're established are you just shooting the big matches or competitions because of the newspaper i work for you know i don't just shoot top level sport they might have a, a feature about grassroots sport. You know, they might be doing something about a lower level team or whatever. You know, I never know. 
And it's really nice, actually, to do a game at grassroots where, you know, I'm not restricted to maybe positions where I am, where I have to go, where I have to be behind advertising boards, where TV rules everything and I have got to be behind TV cameras or there's a, you know, there's a variety of things that I could possibly do at a grassroots game that I wouldn't be able to do at a top level game. And that, that can be quite liberating for me. I bet you've got some incredible money shots in your career. Can you tell us a little more about how it feels when you get that one great shot? I suppose one of my most memorable nights in my career was in 2003, November 2003 in Sydney, Australia. It was the final of the Rugby World Cup and England were playing Australia and England had a great team. England were favourites. But this was at a time in my career that I had just photographed England losing the whole time. I'd never seen England win anything big, be it cricket, football, rugby, you know, our main sports. I'd kept photographing England losing at quarterfinals or semifinals, you know, on penalties, that sort of thing. And I'd never actually witnessed England winning something. That night was one I'll never forget because it was an amazing game. It was a game that was really, really tight and went to extra time. You know, I was running up and down the sidelines, photographing everything during the game. And I was incredibly tired by the time extra time came along. Um, it was pouring with rain. I had my waterproofs on. I was sweating like mad. But I knew towards the end of extra time that it would come down to probably just one kick to win the World Cup. And I could see England moving forward, positioning themselves for a drop goal. And the ball came back to Johnny Wilkinson, who was the star of the team. And he normally kicks off his left foot. And where I was running up and down the sidelines, if he kicked off his left foot, I'd have just seen his backside because he would have turned away from me. And I was thinking, oh, no, he's going to do a drop goal here on his left foot and it's going to win England the World Cup and all I'm going to see is the back of him. But for some reason, I still don't know why, he turned and kicked it off his right foot, which is his weak foot. And I had this shot, you know, it opened up perfectly for me because I was on that side where he was then facing me as he was kicking. And the ball looped up went through the posts and England had won the World Cup. And I remember all the players celebrating with the trophy, you know, on a, a lap of honour. And all the players were coming up and saying, Tom, come take my picture with the trophy, you know, the trophy. And they all came along and it was great. Bosh, bosh, smile, cheesy grins, all that sort of stuff. But I knew the story was Johnny Wilkinson. He was the person that had won the World Cup. But he was quite a sort of introverted character so i'm thinking how can i illustrate this how can i illustrate him as a character but also what he has brought to england and after all these years of failure suddenly england have won the world cup and i saw him heading towards the the dressing rooms and i quickly ran after him because i saw all these fans sort of draped over the tunnel with their arms out waiting to greet him waiting to say thank you to him. And I rushed after him with a wide angle lens. And I got one frame as he walked down the tunnel before the press officer walked right in front of me and said, Whoop, no more, you're not going any further. 
but I got this one frame and I knew the instant I took it, that's exactly the image that I needed because it told the story. Him walking off with his head bowed down with the fans sort of just desperate to say thank you to him. And I'll, ne- I'll never forget that. It's just one of those nights that very rarely come along, but where everything worked for me. It must feel um, absolutely amazing. But what about when the opposite happens? Uh, how does it feel when you miss a shot? When I miss the shot, it's it's quite hard to take. You know, I suppose when I was younger and less experienced, you know, I would be really pretty angry. You know, the drive home when you've missed it and you think, oh, no, you know, I've... I've had all these cameras out. I've tried and do this and that and I've, but you still haven't got it. You, you do have to be quite philosophical about it. You have to try and think, okay, it's not gone right today, but tomorrow is another day and it's another event and it can happen for you. It's similar to the Grand National. There's one fence that I always went to called the chair, which is the biggest fence on the course. And I knew one year I'd get a really, really good picture there. And I would, every year I'd go, and this was like from the early 90s, and I would set up loads of remote cameras and I'd, I'd, I'd cover it from all different angles. And some years I'd get nothing. And in 2016, it was a pretty filthy day, raining, pouring, and it was just like, oh, God, um, you know, should I put the remote cameras out because they're likely to get really wet and is it worth it? And I thought, I must do it. I must keep going because one of these days I will get a picture at this fence. And in 2016, all sorts of things happened. You know, the horses were really tired, so they didn't jump the fence properly and there were fallers and everything sort of happened at that fence. And I got this picture there on a remote camera that I thought, wow, suddenly I've cracked it at this fence after all these years. And it won World Press Photo that year. And it's like, amazing. It's about perseverance a lot of the time. So you're shooting grassroots rugby today. Can you talk us through how you'd usually be set up for a match like that? For most rugby matches that I photograph, I would have three cameras with me the whole time, wherever I go during the game. One would be a 400 millimeter lens with a 1DX Mark II on. Then I'd have 70 to 200 millimeter zoom with a 1DX Mark II. And then I'd probably have a 24 to 70 millimeter lens on a 1DX Mark I. Those cover me for all sorts of different situations from shooting action tight in that's a bit further away to maybe tries in the corner where, you know, which are absolutely crucial, which I might shoot on the 70 to 200. Then I might shoot sort of wider views on the, on the 24 to 70. So that's the sort of equipment that I would take with me the whole time. But also I might sort of have these remote cameras placed in various different parts of the pitch that I would trigger from a, a release on, on top of one of my cameras that are with me all the time. And those basically are like a sort of insurance. You know, say there's like a breakaway try and the guys run down the other end of the pitch and I can't keep up with them and they score a vital try in the corner. Well, 
I might have a remote camera in that corner and it might get me out of a hole. It might cover me. So I'm just trying to, these remote cameras, which I might have two at a rugby game, are sort of like a bit of an insurance, but also they can give a different angle. They might be sort of really low worm's eye level on the pitch that can get a different angle to what I can get. I tend to do major matches, major rugby matches with five cameras. So let's get into the tech a little. Why do you use Canon cameras? Canon provide the best cameras for me. You know, they are, they do exactly what I need them to do. They are reliable. They're fast. They're sturdy. They let me transmit pictures back as quick as I can. They are the tool that I need, basically. They have a huge variety of lenses. They give me great backup. They're everything that I need as far as a camera. By backup, do you mean CPS? I do mean CPS, yeah. I use CPS a lot. In the rare, rare circumstance that something goes wrong or I've dropped something or, and I need it fixed, they fix it. They would turn up at events. So, you know, like at Wimbledon or the Olympics or major events, they would be there. And so if I need something cleaned or can you clean my sensor for me or, you know, whatever, I can give it to them and I know they'll do it straight away, come back and away I go. And do you ever make much use of the custom modes? Most of the sports events that I do, I use these sort of custom modes that on, on, the, on the cameras where I can sort of do like a preset exposure. And I do this to try and, you know, there might be a situation where I want to suddenly go to a, a, like a, do a pan blur picture, for instance, where I need it on a, on a really slow shutter speed. And I can just basically, I can set that exposure up on a custom mode and one press of a function button on the camera and it can go into that mode. So, you know, I might want to photograph players suddenly sprinting down the pitch and I can just press that button and it will go to that slow shutter speed mode. And then I can press it again and it will go back to what my I'd say is my normal action setting. So it enables me to just be a bit more creative and to just use the camera to have these different modes to set up different pictures during a game. They're just really very handy for me. Out of interest, do you, do you shoot RAW or just JPEG? I, I shoot RAW when I'm doing features or uh, at certain times. You know, I go backwards and forth. I don't have any hard and fast rules. If I'm doing a portrait, that I've got time to edit, then I'll shoot in RAW. But if I'm doing a, a match and I'm shooting it live and I'm transmitting it live, well, it's all about speed. So I'd shoot JPEG then because, you know, often I haven't got time to alter the levels or anything like that. You know, sometimes if I'm editing through a, a, a computer and I'm doing it quickly, I haven't got time to mess around. You know, I might just crop it, check the sharpness on it, put a caption on it and send, off it goes. I haven't got time for anything else. So what have been some of the key developments in camera and lens technology that have been game changers for you? The real game changer for me in camera technology has been the autofocus. So when I first started, it was manual focus and you just sort of learned 
to follow the play with your hand. It was sort of instinctive, but you'd get a lot not sharp. But now the, the lenses and the cameras just work so beautifully together and they're so fast, the autofocus. There's a reason why camera manufacturers often test their top level cameras on sports photographers is that we push them to extremes that other photographers just don't. We're often shooting under poor conditions. We want fast shutters. We want really quick motor drives. We're pushing the camera to the, the furthest it can, it can go to. A lot of, uh, a lot of the times I'm taking pictures at, at night under floodlights where the lighting could be pretty awful. And of course, that's a really hard test for autofocus where the, when the light is bad, when the contrast is bad, so it's got nothing to grip onto. That's where the autofocus is being really tested to its maximum. But it's just, it's just come on leaps and bounds in, in the last few years. And sometimes I just can't believe the results I get. So one area that's definitely improved, and I imagine might impact to you, is weight. Is it much of a consideration for you? Weight is absolutely crucial to me because my bag can get really heavy. You know, it's like lifting up a ton of bricks. So if I can reduce that in any way possible, I will do. You know, thankfully, Canon now are starting to introduce more lightweight technology, uh, especially in longer lenses. So I've got a 400-2.8, which is a, a Mark III 400mm 2.8 lens that is this amazing lightweight technology in it and it has made such a difference my back certainly can tell a difference and also a lot of the things i'm shooting i've got to be quite mobile you know if i'm doing a rugby game i'm running up and down the side of the touch lines you know if you can reduce that weight it's much easier for me i think we're coming to the end of our time but just to wrap up how important do you think it is to have a lot of kit do you think it's essential I know I'm very lucky in the fact that I can afford to have really fantastic kit, you know, big lenses, but these lenses are extremely expensive. But I often say you don't need to take great sports pictures on these amazing big lenses. You know, I started off with just one ca plain camera and a 50 millimeter lens, but that taught me a great discipline. That taught me how to frame things, but also how to actually going close. And I certainly think, you know, a sort of grassroots level sport, because you've got the access where you can go in tighter, you know, you're not behind, you know, advertising boards kept a million miles away from where the action is. You don't need huge lenses. And I often think it's a really good way of learning to, to not have a ton of equipment, because sometimes people can get confused by it. You know, I'm, I say, you know, it's much better to, to learn your camera, the, the ins and outs of that camera, really thoroughly so you know what it can do, rather than having loads of different cameras and not really learning about them at all. But also, you know, have uh, lenses that aren't that expensive, but you can get in tight with, you can get close. So, you know, a 70 to 200 millimeter lens is like a brilliant action lens. It's probably the lens that I use more than anything in my job. It's, you know, it's great for getting in tight. Uh, you can get a bit wider. It's a sort of dog's body lens for me and it's vital to me. 
Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Shutter Stories, you can rate and subscribe in the episode's listing. To find more stories and to find us on social, you can click on the links in the episode's description.